You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. And what's up, guys? Welcome back inside another episode of Straight Up Saints Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rosvoglu. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Rosvoglu Report and on Instagram at Saints underscore straight up. Now, a lot of news to get to. We have the return of Andrews Pete. He's back. The man who gets always beat, and he's stinkier than Rob Bryan's feet, probably. But seriously, Andrews Pete is back, and we're going to talk about that and why there's hysteria around that move and whether or not it's a bad move for the New Orleans Saints. But before that, I just want to give my thoughts and concerns with Coach Payton and all those affected by the coronavirus right now. Um, these are dark times for everyone, and I'm hoping that we can get through it as soon as possible. And when I first saw the report, my heart sunk for a second because Coach Payton's not a spring chicken. He's 50, He's in his 50s, and... I'm just concerned for him, but it's good to see that he's doing well. He said he only had four days of quarantine, and by the time you're listening to this, he's only got three more days of isolation, and we'll see what happens there. Um, But really glad to know that he's doing okay. Now, now that we got the sad story and all that to the side, let's talk about something that for you actually might be an even sadder story, but for me, I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it. It's Andrus Pete going back to the Saints on a big-time deal. The deal marks down as a five-year, $57.5 million, 33 of that guaranteed big time deal right here. And I always found it interesting that a lot of people didn't want to admit the truth. And when we got through the first two to three days of free agency and the legal tampering period, whatever you want to call it, but really that's just the start of free agency. Andrews Pete wasn't signed. All the big guards were going. You had Joe Thune gets tagged. You had Brandon Scherf get tagged. And then all of a sudden you had Glasnow get a, uh, go to the, uh, forgot where he went for a second, but he, he ended up moving um, and he got picked up, and that was a target who people wanted. Everyone said, oh, well, if we get rid of uh, Andrews Pete, we got to look at the market, and there's a bunch of good options out there. Um, and everyone said that Glasgow would be an option, but it said he ends up going to, I believe, was Denver, and I'll double-check right now, and it was Denver, um, and, and that was one that the Saints wanted, and Andrews Pete's the best guy left on the market. And all of a sudden, you start to think, he's familiar with the system, the Saints know him, his price tag won't be as much as we thought it might have been, it won't be around... 15 million, which is what some people predicted, and the Saints re-signed him. And oh my God, the hysteria on Twitter. Everyone was looking at uh, Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton and basically saying, You blew it! But seriously, a lot of people really do think now free agency has been blown by that one move, and I just think that's a little bit of an overreaction, and there's a couple reasons why, and let's start off with all of them. The first one, Andrew Speed's familiar with the Saints' scheme. I don't think when you bring back a 41-year-old Drew Brees, you want to have an offensive line with two new faces or, or even a new face and say, all right, figure this system out. And, oh, by the way, you need to protect this 41-year-old Hall of Famer who's not getting any younger, and he's got about one year left for a Super Bowl run. So he's familiar with the scheme. He doesn't have to worry about going into the offseason, learning a complicated playbook, whether it's the running scheme or pass protections that the Saints run. So that's the first reason why I think it's okay to bring him back. The second reason, the options weren't there. And everyone loves to say, oh, but there were better options. Were there? I don't know about that. Because like I said, Joan Thune, he was out. Brandon Sheriff, out. You don't have uh, Glasgow. Eric Flowers, who I don't think is an upgrade, was also off the table. He ends, up and get, he ends up getting a big deal from the Miami Dolphins. So no other options left. Third reason, one less hole on the team if you sign him. If you sign Andrews Pete, whether you're a believer of him or not, it's one less hole going into the draft. You don't have to go into the draft saying, oh, we need an offensive guard, a wide receiver, 
a backup tackle, maybe a swing position type guy, a linebacker, a DB, one less position of need for the Saints when they get into the draft, and that does help a team that doesn't have that many picks this year. So I don't think people realize how much it helps to bring back Andrews Pete. Fourth, and this is probably the most important reason, the price wasn't bad, and he's versatile. The price wasn't bad. I know everyone wants to say $57.5 million for Andrews Pete. How can they do that? He's not good. 11, a little bit over $11 million a year is not bad when guys who aren't nearly as versatile or as young as him are making that type of money. Like, for example, Klein got released by the Vikings, and everyone said, hey, Chris, do you think they should pick him up? And I said no, and the reason is because Klein's in his 30s. Andrews Pete's 27. Give me the younger guy who's versatile, and even though you might pay up now, the guaranteed money's not that bad, and let's see what his cap hit looks like for this year. I wouldn't be shocked if his cap hits like 4 or $5 million and the Saints have worked this deal to their benefit. I wouldn't be shocked at all. And the thing about his versatility that makes him so unique is we all feel you know, the same about Teron Armstead, really good left tackle, but when is he healthy? That's the question that we always ask ourselves. Well, now if he does go down, the Saints have the luxury of putting Andrews Pete at left tackle because that was his natural position with the Stanford Cardinal, and you let him go to work. He needs to stay healthy, though, and I get that, but he is versatile. You could swing him out to left tackle, and he's just a really good, when healthy, a really good offensive guard in the run game, and I get it. He has his limitations in the passing game. I totally get that, but Drew Brees gets the ball out quick, and as long as the rest of the line's not getting beat, Andrews Pete will not look as much as an issue as he did in that Vikings game. The Vikings game looked bad in large part because Armstead and Ramchek didn't look good either, and then the whole line just looked obsolete. So that was the issue. But I do think people are overreacting to the news, and I think that they have to calm down. At the end of the day, it's one less position of need for this football team. So I really am not against that move at all. I think the Saints were smart to bring back Andrews P, and I do commend them when all free agency calmed down and all the guards that were on the table were off. They said, you know what? He's still there. Let's get him. We have a certain number. They didn't go over it. And I do like the move. And last thing about Andrews Pete that I think people have to realize is the last two seasons he's been injured and no one's taking that into consideration. When healthy, he's a top 10 left guard. Now let's put some context into this. There are not a lot of good left guards in the, in the National Football League right now. And the two that I really like were one, a right guard, you know, the Redskins tag Sheriff, who's a right guard, and then Thune, who can play left guard and is a natural left guard, a really good one, but he also got tagged. So those are two of the top guys at guard but there's not a lot of them. And Pete, when healthy, is a top 10 left guard. There are issues with health, and the durability is a concern of mine with the broken wrist in 2018, uh, 2019, excuse me. Well, 28, 20, uh, 2018, 2019, and then the broken arm, 2019, 2020. Those are issues for him. I totally get it. And back-to-back seasons with injuries for a guy who's supposed to be entering his prime, not ideal. But he is a good guard when he's healthy. And the times that he does get beat and everyone picks on him, Look at the competition. He got beat by Aaron Donald on the play that Drew Brees gets hurt. So what? I get Drew Brees got hurt. Yeah, we're all upset that Drew Brees got hurt that game. I get it. Let it go. Everyone gets beat by Aaron Donald. Every single guard gets beat by that guy. He's the best defensive lineman in the National Football League. I don't care if Andrew Speed gets beat by Aaron Donald. Now, the inferior competition, like the Falcons, okay, let's put context on that. That was the game where he broke his arm. So I don't think it's very easy to pass, protect, or run block with a broken arm. What says you? I mean, we're the ones here sitting on the couch talking Saints football. So I don't think we should have any say in saying whether or not a left guard can block with a broken arm. And the third thing, the Vikings game, 
The Vikings D-line is stacked, first off, and second, the game plan was masterful. Inside stunts to throw off Drew Brees and get the, the inside of the pocket to collapse, and once you do that, it's ball game, and that's what they did. And yet the line did settle towards the end of the game. They settled in decently until the fumble where it all collapsed and went wrong. But on that play, everyone loves to point out Pete, but Ramchek, our guy who's on his way to being a Hall of Fame tackle, didn't play well either. So like I said, I think this guy, there are reasons to be concerned. You know, sometimes he's not in shape and there are injury concerns and there are concerns about does he rise to the occasion when he plays superior talent. I get all that. But if you don't have a better option, you got to keep him in the building, and the deal was not that bad. Now, let's move over to another free agent signing that the Saints had, and this wasn't a, uh, you know, re-signing of a player, but it was bringing in a familiar fla- uh, face in Malcolm Jenkins, and, man, I am pumped to have him back in the building. And the main thing about Malcolm that I love, and I got into an argument with a couple people about this, it's the leadership that he brings. I agree with anyone who says, man, Von Bell's got more upside, he's younger. I get all that. I totally get it. But this move is not the reverse of what the Saints did with Bird and Malcolm Jenkins the first time. Because everyone keeps telling me it seems like the same mistake. It's not. Because when Bird and Malcolm Jenkins were both hitting free agency, Bird was just a one-year difference between them. Bird was 27. Jenkins was 26. This time around, Jenkins is 32. Von Bell was 25. I get it. The age gap's pretty big. But we always have to look at the plus side of things. And there's a lot of reasons why. I am a fan of them having this little reunion. The first one's leadership. I saw something, and I bet you saw it too, in the Saints-Vikings playoff game. Not only did the secondary look atrocious, my biggest issue was the lack of leadership. There was a lot of finger-pointing going out there. Sean Lattimore wasn't uh, happy. uh, uh, Marcus Williams wasn't happy. Marshawn got into it with Coach Glenn. And Coach Glenn's a fantastic coach and a good man, and I don't get how that stuff happens. So what you need is a leader on the field who can take accountability for those mistakes. And one common theme in everything that's been going on the last couple of playoffs has been the secondary not showing up. We know what happened in the Minnesota Miracle. We know what happened with Cousins dropping it over to Thielen on a dime in overtime. And even, you know, the Rams forcing OT against the Saints in the uh, 2018 NFC Championship game, excuse me, the defense let them march down the field and the secondary just wasn't good. So what Malcolm brings on and off the field is something that you sometimes can't put a price on. But since we're speaking of price, there's another reason why I like this deal. What the Saints do better than most teams, and it's the smart teams that do this. You'll catch a lot of the great GMs in football do this. They set a price on a free agent, and they don't go over that price. And when that player doesn't accept it or they end up turning it down, they don't get scared. They don't worry about it. They simply go on to their next option. So the Saints had Von Bell on their books for $7.5 million, according to Nick Underhill. And when that didn't work, and he didn't necessarily reject it, but he didn't accept it, obviously, the Saints said, okay, on to our next option, and that's Malcolm Jenkins, who is going to get paid more, and they clearly value what Malcolm's going to bring. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He does tremendous work off the field, and he can still play. He's actually in pass coverage much better than Von Bell. Yeah, now Von Bell is a better run defender, The Saints already have one of the best run defenses in football. Their pass defense is where they're lacking. So get better in that uh, category. That's something that I like. And the the fourth thing, too, for this, and it's extremely important, kind of like what I brought up with Andrews Pete, the Saints just told you something by this move. And it's not just about moving on from a free agent where they set a number and say, if you don't like it, we're going on to our next option. They clearly see something in Gardner Johnson, and it's something that every fan sees right now. The kid has a lot of dog in him. He's a dude who next season is going to take that big leap 
from a role player to an impact player. And you're going to see that on the field week in, week out. What Gardner Johnson can do in the slot, what he can do in the safety position, those are things where as good as Von Bell was, and Von Bell was always near the ball when someone fumbled, and he was a great run stuffer, Gardner Johnson just has that it factor to him. You put on the tape, you watch the kid, and you're like, you know what, he is special. And I think we're going to see that. So what the Saints also could be telling you from this move is, hey, it's going to be Marcus and Gardner Johnson as our safety tandem down the road. And what, you know, it doesn't hurt to bring in a leader who can teach Gardner Johnson a couple of things along the way to help and also help the football team in general. So that's why I like that move. I think the Saints are telling you not only is there a price that they won't go over for Von Bell, they're saying eventually Gardner Johnson will be one of the key pieces of the secondary. And he probably will be one of the key pieces for next year um, in particular because if the Saints didn't feel confident about Gardner Johnson as a slot corner, a nickel guy, um, and someone who's just a versatile DB that they can move around all over the secondary for this 2020 season, then why wouldn't you overpay for a Chris Harris? Or why wouldn't you immediately throw yourself into every competent DB's market and say, we got interest in this guy? They haven't done it. They showed interest in Chris Harris, but outside of that, we haven't seen the Saints linked to many corners. And maybe they add one in the future, but my gut feeling tells me the Saints are very confident in Gardner Johnson, and we're going to see them show that confidence on Sundays when the season rolls around because he will get a lot of playing time. Now, before I wrap up this episode, there's a couple more things I want to talk about. I'm not going to waste too much time on each one, but I felt I'll get to them since they are, one, Saints-related topic, and then two, just an NFC South-related topic. And the first one is about Eli Apple going to the Raiders and what that means, whether or not it's a you know a bad loss for the Saints. Here's the deal with Eli Apple. There comes a point in time where you got to accept someone for who they are and they're just not going to change. And I was one of those people who always defended Eli Apple. I think he's a talented kid. I do think there's potential there with him. But when he keeps making the same mistakes you shouldn't expect him to change it. So when Eli Apple doesn't turn his head around 50,000 times and continues to get beat when he's right in the, he's in the right spot. He's always in the right spot, but he continually gets beat because he doesn't turn his head around. I shouldn't, as a fan and someone just observing the game, think to myself, all right, Eli should turn around this time. It's just not going to happen. That's on me for expecting him to do that. So I think the Saints were finally done with Eli Apple in the sense that they brought Janoris Jenkins in, they still have Patrick Robinson. They can add another DB via the draft or free agency if they want to. But why are they going to divert not only more time, more money into a player who he's good. Don't get me wrong. He is talented, but he continues to show you that he's not improving and learning from his mistakes. Because Eli Apple, when he's confident, is a good corner. And I like that. But when Eli Apple's not confident, he's one of the worst corners in the National Football League. And that drop-off is something that Saints can't afford. They're trying to win a Super Bowl. They're not trying to be decent and be a team on the rise. You can't have that happen. And it's not a coincidence that Eli Apple goes down and Janoris Jenkins comes in, and all of a sudden, Jenkins is forcing a fumble on Thielen and locking down Diggs. And then we see that P.J. Williams is playing decent against Mike Evans in a division game. And all of a sudden, Patrick Robinson steps up against the Titans. Like, Eli Apple went down, and all of a sudden, other dudes in the secondary took advantage of that moment, and you realize... He's expendable, so let him go, get a comp pick for him next draft, and I think all is well with the Saints in that regard. Now, last topic of this episode, it's about the arrival in Atlanta, the Falcons, and what they did. They added Todd Gurley, and immediately a lot of people were going nuts over the move, and I actually respect Todd Gurley a lot. I love what he's done for the league, but Todd Gurley's probably more name than he is production. I do think that he's an upgrade over Devontae Freeman because Freeman, at this point, 
He just got lucky that he hit the market at the right time. When running backs were getting paid, he took advantage, got a big deal. He's not good anymore, though. Gurley, on the other hand, sees his opportunity, definitely earned his money at first with the Rams because his first two star seasons with them were some of the best years we've ever seen in the National Football League over the last decade. He was very electric. We saw him become a better receiver. He was a touchdown machine. And then the drop-off because at 25 years old, and it's crazy that he's still only 25, but at 25 years old, he's got arthritis in his knee. And there are some injuries you can't afford to have, and that's one of those medical issues. It's a running back you can't have. And I think for the Falcons, yes, it's an upgrade at running back, but there's a reason it's a one-year deal. And there's a reason he just went from getting $16 million a year to $5 million a year. And that reason is people know at the end of the day, he is now an 800-yard rusher. He's not giving you over 1,000. He's not going to give you 1,500 scrimmage yards. He's an 800-yard rusher who, with a good back, if you pair him with him, you'll get some good usage out of him. But remember, when the Saints played the Rams, the better running back was C.J. Anderson, who was about four weeks removed off his couch. And he told you he was out of shape. He just came off his couch and then went to the L.A. Rams. And he played better than Todd Gurley. So that tells me all I need to know about that team and that acquisition. But anyway, guys, the NFC South is shaping up to be extremely interesting. Uh, Not only do you have the Saints who, as of right now, haven't lost much. Now, they haven't gained much, I get that, but haven't lost much, so they should be a contender for next year. But you have the Bucs who added Brady. You have the Falcons that added Gurley and also Dante Fowler, so they went in on getting ex-Rams players. And then you got the Panthers who added Teddy Bridgewater, uh, and we'll see what they do with the rest of their team. Although they seem to be rebuilding, it's going to be a fun NFC South, especially at the quarterback spot because you have four intriguing names there but that's going to do it for this episode of the straight up saints podcast i want to thank you guys as always for listening if more saints content breaks don't worry i will have a podcast for you guys but until then thanks for listening guys and stay safe during this time